You're listening to Season 2 of NFT 365. Talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365. Here's your host and digital futurist, Brian Fanzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And through the ups and downs of the market, and even just through you know my love and belief in blockchain and, and where we're, we're moving as a space, many of you know my background was onboarding a lot of brands um, in, in the Web2 world into not only social media, but into live streaming. The brands like you know the Applebee's, uh, Dell, IBM, Samsung, uh, the Super Bowl. I got to launch a lot of their very first Facebook Lives, a lot of their very first Google Plus uh, shows, a lot of their very first... LinkedIn lives and and in that world. And then also, you know, for me, part of it is like kind of that idea of translating what's happening today and being able to kind of get in touch uh, with different markets and different uh, arenas. And and one of the things that, you know, I will say as a creator in the Web3 space, you know, I, I try my best to tap into uh, a lot of great conversations, a lot of things that are happening in this space, especially with points of view that are, um, that we share a mission and a purpose, but we have a different point of view on maybe even what we're collecting or how we're collecting it. Uh, and super excited for Steve to be joining us today as our guest, as uh, we connected, of course, as seems like everything in NFT happens uh, on the Twitterverse um, and really enjoyed uh, you know Steve's take early on, uh, even before the the show that they were doing, just from a, a point of view of, of brands and, and and also just kind of adoption rate and some of the things that like a higher level from Top Shots to DraftKings and and some of the things that I like to play in, but we also didn't bring in here uh, to the show as much as we have in the in the past. And so Steve, super excited to have you as a guest. We'll talk a little bit of all the things, but uh, before we do that, introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no, appreciate it, and. Uh... I swear Twitter's the new LinkedIn, or at least it is in Web3. I, I meet more people there, whereas LinkedIn, my inbox is, it's a war zone. It's just spam. Um, but no, it's its great. First of all, appreciate you having me on, Fanzo. I mean, you are, uh, one of the things I admire in people is work ethic. So right off the bat, like you are one of those people who, um, it's not that I think that you have like, a, you know, a mental health, like not work-life balance, but I get the impression that you are willing to put in the work to the things that you really want to accomplish just from, you know, between this, this alone, right. I mean, never missing a day to how often you're in spaces. So I just want to throw flowers before I introduce myself and honored to, uh, to be on and asked, um, on that. Um, but yeah, my, my name is, uh, Steve NFT bark on Twitter. Um, my background actually prior to web three is I spent 15 years in, uh, public relations and marketing at large, uh, fortune 500 multinational companies. So things like leading, uh, PR and internal communications and recruitment marketing at Progressive Insurance actually was leading internal comms there when we sent everyone home for COVID, which was challenging and rewarding all at the same time with 40,000 people going home. Um, I uh, worked at Nestle in my last job before coming full-time Web3, leading public relations for their uh, frozen food brands in the US. So DiGiorno, Lean Cuisine, Hot Pockets, um, uh, those Stouffer's, like anything you find there as well as their innovation brands. And my entry into Web3, I mean, right now, I'm just trying to duct tape a career together. I co-authored the first Harvard Business Review article about NFTs. Um, 
uh, led to me getting the opportunity. I'm currently writing a book with Penguin Publishing and that same co-author. And uh, I am leading community efforts for Starbucks. So uh, Starbucks is doing the Starbucks Odyssey NFT program. I'm in charge of the community strategy there. Uh, I also co-founded DGen Network, which is a Web3 decentralized media company where I host co-host Coffee with Captain every morning at 8 a.m., which has been a, a growing morning sort of business Twitter space. And I also serve as the uh, chief cultural officer at Clubhouse Archives, a Web3-based clothing brand. Now, it, real quick on that, it's funny you talk about the crossing over of ethos. If you listen to that background and you kind of dissect it, generally speaking, my passion is trying to uh, be a somebody who educates, somebody who maybe connects people with blockchain technology who have never ha seen it or understood it before. I mean, people hear it, they think of FTX because they've seen it in the news and they think of Bitcoin and then they think about, uh, you know, all these things that maybe aren't quite related there or overpriced monkey JPEGs and not knowing what they are. So my goal is sort of connecting those big brands like the Harvard Business Review articles, uh, getting that in the hands of people who maybe otherwise wouldn't have read or understood NFTs, like business leaders and people who are in executive positions, uh, you know, doing, uh, getting the opportunity to speak at classes at places like Harvard, where maybe there's, um, you know, people at that business school who maybe aren't as familiar with blockchain, but are learning about it, uh, working with Starbucks, a big brand coming into the space. So similar to you, it's just, you know, my thought is how can I bridge that gap? Because I truly think this technology can create aligned incentives with consumers and big brands and everybody can win together just as the internet sort of helped enable that in the past. I think we could see that again. So similar passion to you right there with everything I'm working on. I love that. And, and you know, and I, I will say like, you know, the business focused morning show is like the, was the attraction for me. I will say like uh, as much as, you know, like I have a degen side of me that I am very proud of as, uh, as well. And I'm all for, you know, fun and, and games. Uh, you know, for me, one of the big things in this space from day one was like, you know, how do we remove the starving from the starving artists? How do we allow the blockchain technology to actually do what the hell the blockchain technology is going to be? But also, how do we have kind of a, a serious spin enough on it to have uh, a business agenda? And I also love that you said like duct taking duct taping a a web three career together. I think that's all of us are looking at this space, right? Because it's like, I don't want to be a day trader for life. And, and I, and I also, we've seen what that looks like, but like launching your own NFT project, your own media brand, like you, you're doing a lot of those uh, realms. And I, and I also, we're going to tap into the Starbucks side. Um, and I, I, there was a long time ago, I made a, a comment when I heard Starbucks was launching and I said, one of the best things they could do was to hire somebody that already lives and eats and breathes our culture. And then when I was uh, asked to join Starbucks during that you know early beta, and I jumped in, I saw that you were the one that was in there. I was like, I was like, holy hell! Like this, you know, major. You know, we've seen brands of all shapes and sizes, and you know, I was big with uh, Playboy, the Playboy Avatar uh, collection, kind of coming on board. They brought me on to you know advise them and work with them uh, early on, and loved their ability to do that. But then, of course, that had its own pieces, but. I, I want to tap in first, you know, like the, the Harvard, the co-author of the Harvard, uh, you know, article on NFTs. Talk to me a little bit about like how that came to life. Um, and, and also like, you know, like I remember seeing that in your, in your bio early on and I had to go find it. Right. I was like, what? The? I was like, oh, this is very interesting. Um, that, that also like just had, it adds a, lay, a layer of, um, you know, validity to, to some messaging in this space. But we also know that like, you know, a lot of people kind of confuse that, like, oh, I have a, a, a you know, Forbes article or a Huffington Post article, and I'm like, yeah, I could pay to do those as well, right? Like, like so talk to me a little bit about, like how that came to life, and like kind of what are some of been some of those uh, things like the book deal, congratulations that have kind of come from that. Yeah, that's that was sort of one of the most seminal moments of of my life, let alone my career, because I 
Harvard Business Review is what we would have when I worked in Progressive and Nestle. We would have like these offsites with the leadership. Uh, and it would be like the CEO would print out a Harvard Business Review article they'd read about whatever topic we're covering. So that's like the one of the grails to me. And the way it came together, I'm actually glad you asked this. So there's there's a funny degenerate story as well as a actual sort of like business story behind it. So the way it works is I, I've always said like, you know, like you have to be at the plate if you want to swing the bat. So I show up to a lot of IRL events. I show up to a lot of spaces early on. I, you know, I saw this opportunity that was in this space and I've always been interested in tech my whole life. Literally was teaching myself HTML in sixth grade. I'm 39. So that gives you like a basis for like how interested and nerdy in tech I, I was, um, you know, coding things into existence before you could Google it. Um, so that's just always been my jam. And I always like this blockchain technology. Um, so as I was bouncing around spaces, I met this guy, Scott Commoners, who happened to be a Harvard business professor. And Scott and I became really good friends where we would just be DMing about these larger picture potential things we saw down the line for blockchain beyond the JPEGs and the clubs and the hype and what that would be. And, you know, he knew that I was a writer. He knew that I'd been writing my whole life. He knew that I, I did a lot of, uh, you know, whether it was a Twitter thread, an article or, you know, you name it, I was always interested in that. And I get a DM from him on the Sunday before NFT NYC, the very first one in 2021, or at least the first one that was really big in 2021. First one that any of, us, any of us validate as the first one, yes. Exactly, you got it. And so um, Scott uh, sends me a DM and says, look, I know you're going to NFT NYC tomorrow. He's like, but I just got approval to write the first Harvard Business Review article about NFTs. And he's like, I think you're the logical co-author. He's like, cause I'd like to have your perspective in there with mine. I think we counterbalance each other really well friends. He's like, but I know you're leading, leaving for NFT NYC tomorrow and we need to write it this week. So, and before he could like finish, I was like, Scott, you tell me where I need to be and what I need to do. And I will do what it takes to make this happen. I think I wrote like the first four pages that night and uh, sent it his way or first couple of pages that night. And throughout the week, I'm going to meet friends that I've never met before in my life, right? You've only talked online. Some people you only knew by PFP. I'm going to events to get utility out of my tokens. Some days I'm out until like three in the morning at a dead mouse concert that we, uh, yeah. you know, FOMO'd into. And then I'm running back to my hotel room and I'm editing something for Harvard Business Review and kind of putting my edits in. And by the end of that week, we had that thing written in a good place. Our editor didn't know what NFTs were, which made it so much better because he was able to tell us when we were missing the mark. And then the most rewarding part about it. So it gets released a couple of weeks later in November that year, just after NFT NYC. And the most rewarding part was we knew business audiences would at least read it, whether they accepted it or not. What was really cool is when we put it out, we wrote something the community was proud of that people said, I sent to my parents, I sent to my boss. And hearing people like Ezra Klein, who have, you know, New York Times, like a major, you know, podcast oh. or whatever, talk about it and reference it or uh, things like that are, are the surreal moments you have. Um, we know that it performs super well. And it was a super hot topic. And for us, like the reason it was so satisfying is like, we want this technology to be seen as valid because people forget in 2021, it was why that people sell for 69 million. What's going on with these bored apes? It's a bunch of people partying on a yacht. This sounds like another bubble. And for us, it was explaining the technology in a meaningful way, uh, citing some of the current projects, but also talking about the business opportunities. And to us, like, that was what it was all about. And it seemed to hit home with the people in NFTs. It seemed to hit home with people who were at the executive level. And in fact, funny story about that at the end. So I wrote that I was still working at Nestle. And 
I get a message from uh, a person in Beve, Switzerland, who is at Nestle headquarters, and they say, hey, we're talking about NFTs, and we just noticed the person who wrote this worked here. Um, would you be you know, open to talking to us more about that? And I had to tell them, I'm like, look, I'm actually, my last day is next week because I'm, I'm going full-time NFT, but uh, happy to come back in and talk to you. Y'all have done so much for me. So you know, I've talked to people from Nestle, people from Progressive in my old lives about it. But yeah, it's just a cool... Um, yeah, to me, it's still surreal. And of course, like you said, that led to the book deal uh, that led to job opportunities. Um, it, it led to people reaching out to me on LinkedIn that I wouldn't have otherwise met and opened some doors and gave some credence to myself that, um, you know, I have a, I suffer from massive imposter syndrome a lot of times. And it gave me sort of like a little bit of a boost to say, you know what, like, I always will have that as something I did. And, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, I, and there's a lot of connections there. We'll have to talk. I have a Nestle connection, uh, Nestle connection uh, as well on the on the marketing side, social media side. A couple, I think I've gone through three different people where I was their resource. I was their resources for them getting hired in that in that side of the uh, of the house over there, which is kind of interesting. And also this podcast, uh, you know, it was born at that same NFT NYC. Like we we went there. Uh, you know, I had worked with Gary V since 2014 on a couple of different things, and and uh, we went there with the idea of like, what the hell are we going to do in Web three and we left and five days later, uh, we launched the podcast on a daily, on a daily basis. So I, I can, and I, you know, like for those that weren't at that NFT NYC, I mean, talking about a different world than the last one. And, and I mean, just the, I mean, the whole space, it was, I mean, first of all, it was 97% male. Um, and, you know, and it was, you know, not only, a you know, kind of reckless and kind of a uh, while, but it was, I mean, a lot of us were figuring out, I, I remember they, they asked people to raise their hands. If you're a developer in the audience, I think two people raised their hand at that entire event. And I was like, Oh my God, we got a long way to go. But I think that also adds, you know, validity to where you were writing that. Right. Cause you know, I, the, not only the business side, but like, Hey, these are the use cases. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump forward and we'll jump back into a couple other things, but some of the things that you talked about are things that, you know, I clearly believed, you know, should, uh, you know, be implemented, should be existent. But we have to be truthful. A lot of them have not come to life, you know. And we are now all these, you know, all this time in, in Web three, uh, you know, for, forward. Although we also have to add context, right? Like we we all say like we're still early, but like in any tech mass tech adoption, like this, I mean, we are way, uh, you know, early, and it hasn't been that long. But for a lot of us, it's like you know, the writing was there, right, on how, how brands can come into this space and how they can redo the reward system. And, and you know, we saw some brands like the Adidas try their, you know, mark, although even today, like, you know, within the last 24 hours, Puma, uh, you know, dropped their uh, NFT, which is kind of like a lot of things going full circle. I'm curious from your, like, like if you had to look back to that article and say, hey, there was like two things that we talked about that I can't believe still have been, haven't been like implemented or, or done correctly. What would those be just kind of like looking back at that, you know, day as you guys were kind of pulling that, uh, you know, that article together back then? That's a great question. Like what hasn't come to fruition. Right. And I think about, Ooh, that's a good one. Like, you know, I think that we thought that we would see quicker the implementation in the ticketing industry. In fact, I had a call with somebody about a ticketing technology saying like, should we be doing this from an entrepreneur perspective? Because this is a multi-billion dollar idea and realize like we weren't the ones to do it. Um, so I think that that was one thing that threw me off is I thought tickets immediately were like the biggest no-brainer, low-hanging fruit. And I know Ticketmaster is working through Flow. I know I think they're the biggest customer on Flow. So they're working on it. But like the idea of like going to a game, scanning just your ticket as an NFT and then having it drop you an artwork maybe in your... Um, sort of in your wallet that was like special to the game, like that's your program. And then 
maybe having like randomizations of where you could sit or maybe winning game worn, you know, equipment or upgrades that you could then sell down on down the line or even, you know, local businesses being able to say, oh, okay, you went to the game, validate it and you get a free drink. So I think we thought that might come a little quicker. So that's one that I think is still like a quintessential technology. And I keep waiting for like Apple to acquire token proof so that they can just like make it happen all in one wallet. Um, so that's like one, um, you know, another one just in general, and this is a very big generalization is I thought more big brands were going to jump in and leap at the technology when social media started coming out as much as it was still kind of like, Hey, you're talking about what you ate for breakfast on Twitter or okay. Facebook is just a place where people poke each other. There was some of that, but a lot of brands got on it, not right off the bat, but seemingly pretty quickly once it started to get scale. And I thought that based on the conversations I was having with various sort of like VCs and otherwise, like that maybe big brands were going to be more into it, but it turns out it's more been sort of some trial and error you've seen with brands who maybe haven't done quite as well. And and they're not going to, you know, call anybody out because everybody's trying, but where it maybe wasn't in the spirit of the technology Um, or things like, um, you know, like you needed a brand like Starbucks, who's very tech forward to say, or Nike, who's very tech forward to say, yeah, we were like the first to do like mobile payments really well. And so we were early on this. So we're, we're going to jump in on this technology and give it a try, which is again, a whole nother story in and of itself. But I think, um, I think that the, the jump of big brands, I expected more. And I certainly expected tickets to be like a thing that was going to hit up pretty quick, which I still think will happen. But I think on that, just as a side note, like, I think one of the things that I sometimes need to level set with myself on is like, it usually takes brands 18, you know, 24, 36 months, like, Uber after 18 months, people would have been like, that's a rug. But like, they ended up developing and becoming a brand. And I think because we're so close to it, we see the day to day and we live it. And we don't realize that it's a blink. And in 10 years, nobody's going to think about the difference between 2021 and 2023 for adoption. They'll be like, oh yeah, that was still really early. But in our world, I think the adoption just feels slower because we're living it. And we're, we just want to grab these brands and be like, ah, do it. But Honestly, now that I'm working with one that's building it, I could say I understand the slower rollout because it does take a lot of work, both technically and um, community building wise to do it right. Yeah, you know, I, I love that you connect to both of those, right? And, you know, I'm an advisor on a project called Festival Pass, and they're kind of taking the approach of kind of like the, you know, if you own an NFT or actually if our listeners that own one of our 1093 NFTs, they actually connect there each month, you're ordering credits where you can actually buy, you know, Broadway shows, tickets, and like that's their, that in their realm. And, and I've had conversations with them, that's where they've, you know, run a Web2 business. And I own a bunch of Ticketmaster NFTs, especially NFL ones from like the 2021 days that I, I mean, the marketplace, you can't even figure out how to, like it, it loads like every three times you're there. But, you know, and we did see, like we saw, you know, like I mentioned Playboy Rabbitar, Time Magazine, you know, going all in, which was like, you know, there were some of these, like, I mean, if you would have told me Playboy would be relevant to me when I'm 41 years old, I would have told you you're crazy. Right. And the fact that like that NFT NYC, I got a pop-up on my phone that said, we are having a Playboy party and only those with the Rabbitar can get in. I brought my buddy Drew. Uh, you know, we went there. They scanned our uh, our NFT. Of course, it like the tech didn't work at the doors, so and then we had to like validate that we owned it with our MetaMask. Right? This was like those those early days. But I think you're the other point of this that kind of comes full circuit, which is perfectly into you know kind of the Starbucks example. And 
is that there also has to be brands and companies that understand that you can kind of pick and choose a little bit on how you're embracing it. Cause I, I know that I went to, you know, I helped a lot of big enterprise tech brands uh, embrace social and, and digital. And I went back to them and I will tell you the number one pushback wasn't NFTs, wasn't the blockchain, wasn't art, wasn't even the fact that they need to be on Twitter. It was crypto. The idea of cryptocurrency to them was like, wait a second, like, like we're okay building on Ethereum, but we don't want people to have to have Ethereum to buy it. And let's face it, 2021 and most of 2022, if a brand came out and said they wanted to do it with a non-crypto purchasing option, and I believe if you go, if, you know, if people go back and quote me, when Starbucks announced that they were going no crypto and they were calling them stamps and passports, not NFTs and wallets, I was like, and, and this is what I said, you know, and me being very you know, transparent, I said, I love that Starbucks in the space. I question if we are adding another layer of confusion because now I'm going to have to translate what a stamp is to those that understand NFTs and those that don't understand NFTs, right? So like for me, that was part of the vernacular. But the beautiful thing in this space is we also now have recognized that with an onboard ramp that is stupid steep, we need to change that variable, right? And so when I heard Starbucks teamed up with Nifty Gateway, I happen to be a curator on Nifty Gateway and launched my very first art collection there. And I will tell you of the, you know, we, we sold... You know, I think it was 122 pieces uh, my of my own AI art. You know, over 50% of them did not have a wallet, right? They signed up with Nifty Gateway, got their account and bought it. And that was like an aha for me. And I even had someone message over the weekend and say, Brian, I'd buy more of your current pieces, but they're not on a platform that is friendly with, you know, a non, you know, MetaMask or having to have crypto. And so that is part of this, right? And I, and I love that that also kind of connects to, what brands have rewards and royalties and and have that understanding? I mean, Starbucks. You know, I remember when Starbucks, uh, you know, kind of dabbled with you know the music in the in the in the actual Starbucks. I also remember Patron uh, coming out with like Patron was one of the first VR AR uh, kind of experiences like from a brand, and they they were like, hey, we want to in- integrate this in our you know in our own rewards mechanism. And so in that vein. Talk to me about how the, how did the Starbucks opportunity come to life? Uh, I know that you even connected me with with someone else that's going to be a, a future guest of ours, which I'm uh, you know super excited about. But how did that come to life? Because I will say, you know, I gave Playboy a ton of credit because they hired Jen. For those that know, you know, Jen, uh, you know, from that world, and they brought her in and let her kind of be the community manager. And so when I saw that you were involved, I was like, wow, like this this is a brand understanding it. But yeah, I'd love to hear how that like origin, how that kind of all came to all came to life. One thing I will say, Fanzo, is that I uh, I pity anybody who's around us when we meet in person because I think we could literally talk for hours because you said like, I'm going to answer your question or I may because my ADHD may take me out of it. But like you said like five things in there to the point where I pulled up a doc and took notes because I want to like build on a couple points you made. So I promise I'll get there, but I'm like way stoked on this conversation. So number one, something you said there about like, um, you know, what had this spark thought to me that that I always say, which is like, you know, you talk about like the general public coming in on things and how Starbucks approached it. And I have this like thing where I, I, I get frustrated with the current M- M- uh, NFT space when we talk about mass adoption. Because when people talk about mass adoption, what they're really saying, a lot of them, is I want someone to come buy my e-fags. However, what I think mass adoption as, and I think I get the impression you as well, is this technology being used by consumers to better their lives or humans to better their lives or empower businesses to do new business in new and innovative ways is how I see mass adoption. So I heard that coming through. So I want to make sure I said that point because I think it's it's such a good one. 
I even use the term, I always say, I want growth adoption. I don't want mass adoption, right? Because if we say growth adoption, we now start recalculating what that visually looks like, right? Like we need growth in creators, growth in artists, growth in developers, right? And uh, yeah, you couldn't be more um, spot on there. And And I do think that is also a misnomer when we say what people actually want, right? Because depending on who's saying it and depending on where that vehicle is coming from, because like we want a big brand to get in there, but we don't want censorship. We want full decentralization. We want no, and you're like, wait a second. Like you, you can't have all of these things and then expect people to give up all of those things. So yeah, we are, we're spot on the line there. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's just better software. And that's actually the crux of the book. We're trying to explain to people, this is just better software for your business. Like forget all the buzzwords and just get in there. So I love that. The other thing that I think you said that was really interesting and it relates to Starbucks is um, how you use it matters. And and we this is the thing that we hit on in the in the HBR article, which which uh, I think stands up, which is um, look, Starbucks is known for their rewards program. So doing a next generation loyalty program makes sense for Disney. It might make sense to drop a PFP because people have identity around it. And if you do, I could see you know, 57 year old people I know who are obsessed with Disney making it their Facebook profile picture yep. um, and then giving value to that and using some of the AI technology we're seeing from Onchain Monkey to see if it's your PFP for a certain amount of time and saying, if it's your PFP for a certain amount of time, you get, you know, a free day at Disney, that's $500. But I mean, people pay thousands of dollars for people to wrap their car in an advertisement for a year, which is like super non-trackable. Well, you could track how long someone has a PFP and bring them in. So like different uses for an artist. An artist is getting paid in perpetuity on their art. That's amazing, right? If I sell you a piece of art for $10, but then I become famous and it becomes worth a million dollars, well, that's great if I can get a royalty in perpetuity. So all those things are great. Uh, an art, A musician who can self-fund without having to go through a record company who gives them a terrible deal, but instead self-funds through their fans and their fans profit alongside of them with those benefits, right? There's so many things in use yeah. cases. So I think use cases are super important as you say that. So- I want to point that out too, because as you were saying that, um, and the last thing I'll say that you pointed out before I actually answer your real question is um, you talk about like the use of the terms like digital collectibles and stamps and things. And, you know, Will from Cryptoys, which is a venture startup on um, on Flow, on the Flow blockchain, very cool. Um, he has this thing that he had mentioned on our morning show one time, which was he sees the term NFT like MP3, which is, look, initially we always talked about our MP3s. I had my crappy MP3 player. I had five songs yeah. and everyone's like, why are you doing that? You have your CDs. It wasn't even, the Zoom and iPod weren't even out yet. It was like, worked yep. on little flash disks. Oh um, yeah, I remember those little flash disks. You, you, know, you gotta have a bigger one that that went into that, that went into your computer, right? Like like we, we complain about dongles now before we had to like take out one disk to put it inside of another disk to put it inside of something else. I, I can relate to that. It was like Russian nesting dolls, but with disks eventually. And so like yes. you did that for MP3s. Well, we don't use the term MP3 anymore. It's just music, right? You just listen right. to Spotify or Apple. And I think that's the goal Starbucks is, is putting together. And, um, you know, to answer your initial question, I'll, I'll save like the bigger stories because I know you said you're, you're going to have Bunchu on soon. Uh, Joe, who's my DJ Network co-founder, and that guy is an absolute like animal. Like that guy is like one of the top people in Web3 that not enough people recognize. Um, I'll say with Joe, um, he's one of the co-founders there. Him uh, Adam Brotman and Andy Sack. So Andy Sack has this really traditional sort of Web One venture cap, Web One uh, entrepreneur and Web Two venture capital background. Bunchu is just like Web Three Gen, but also like wicked smart, like business sales background. And then there's Adam. So Adam is the former chief digital officer at Starbucks, and he architected the mobile payments plan we all use. You mentioned the Spotify music thing. That was Adam. So you talk about bringing in independent and artists and and doing that. 
Adam's done it before, so you could, you could imagine where that might... There's a reason on the future of Starbucks Odyssey forum we have in the Discord. It asks, what artists do you think we should collaborate with in Web3? So, um, you know, I think Adam having that tie-in to the point where he's, you know, personal friends with Howard Schultz makes it so that Howard has, who's always been a forward thinker, has someone come to him who he respects, who has the proven ability to go from nobody using mobile payments to being more than half their business, coming and saying, this is a thing that can really work for you and here's how it can work. And then you have people like Joe and then, um, you know, Morgan Matoski, our, um, uh, our other, uh, another DJ Network co-founder who works with at Forum3. Those two put together an architect, this idea with, you know, Adam and Andy there for this next generation, uh, you know, experience and loyalty program, package it for Howard Schultz. So that's happening. And then when they needed someone to lead the community, I'd always been talking to Joe about like, I'd love to get involved in the Starbucks stuff. I think it's super interesting. If you ever need anybody, let me know. Uh, Joe's a friend, but he also knows that I'm a you know hard worker with a traditional background. And they knew that if they put me on the phone with Starbucks and they can't make a call, they don't have to worry about me, right? Because I, I've had to talk to, uh, you know, I had a CEO, a Fortune 500 CEO, when I said, well, that internal communication say, George Floyd was just murdered. And I think this is how we sure they feel whole and understand we hear them and, and we're recognizing this important moment in time for them. Having a CEO say, I'll do whatever you trust at a Fortune 500 company, they knew that they could trust me if I was in front of a VP at Starbucks, if I was in front of a project manager, whoever it may be. So um, on top of that, like community building is something that's always been a strength of mine. So they knew that I could host events in there. They knew that I could you know handle the community and, and sort of do that customer service similar to use social media which has different purposes, right? One of those being customer service function for a place like Progressive. So understanding that. Um, so they knew that, that I had that sort of unique skill set. So, um, and they knew that I was eager to work with them. So I uh, just got the opportunity, you know, Joe, Morgan, Andy, and, and Adam, they're the ones who are leading the strategy and really driving that. And my purview is the community. Just, uh, I'm the cruise director. How do I make the vibes work and everything go well in the Discord? Uh, answer questions, get information on that beta. And don't get me wrong, like they're so open to feedback and thoughts from me or anybody else, but um, you know, it's been cool. And then I've been able to hire people from my community, DJ Network, to be mods in that community. So it's almost like we have this sort of like secondary connection where a lot of stuff, in fact, you know, I don't know how how this is out there, but I'll just say it and maybe I'll get in trouble. But like the entire alpha group before a lot of the other people yourself and some others got invited in, the first 125 people. That was all DJ Network because Adam and Joe said, we know what the type of community you've curated. We know these people will help give feedback and they're not just coming in here to say, how do I flip stamps? Which not there's anything wrong with making money, but it got the right community in from the start and then created this other group of ambassadors. So now if we go 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 100,000, we have this early group of, there's this book for, by Seth Godin called Tribes, which is oh, yes. about- the need for like community right leaders. There across, it's literally right across from me right now. I know exactly. So you, you're super familiar. There's this idea that like, Outside of the people leading, you need these sort of like community leaders who step up and help sort of keep the culture going. Um, you see it in NFT projects all the time with like the board apes and others where there's people who just keep the culture going but aren't on the team. And we were able to develop that by having that early group in Starbucks. So I'm uh, just grateful that Bunch gave me the opportunity and Morgan gave me the opportunity to work with them because they're the two geniuses who are really, I mean, really keeping that thing going. Yeah, I love that. And we're gonna, and Bunch will be on the podcast actually in, a, in the next couple episodes. So we'll definitely dive into that side. And I, I will just say like, you know, like I had, a, I had the highest civilian clearance that you could get as I worked for the government for 10 years, you know, top secret with polygraph. Like I had that. And like, for me, that was like my, and when people asked, you know, how did I get Dell to let me press the button for the very first Facebook live, right? I sat down with Michael Dell and he was like, I trust you, even though like you're, 
you're like this social media guy, but like you had a top secret clearance in cybersecurity. Like, I think you'll know where that line is, right? Like that, that trust is such an important component. The other thing that you said that I think every NFT project, you know, every NFT project that I'm advising, but every NFT project there is, right? One of the things we have to think about is it's not only just who are those alpha members, right? Like, but who are those beta ones? And then what are we, how do we actually have intention with everything that we're doing, including like I loved, I listened to the interview that you did with the, the chief digital officer at Starbucks and inside of the discord with all of us there in the community. And I loved like the take of like, when I heard they were integrating in the reward system and I don't know if it's the biggest or it's one of the largest rewards, you know, uh, apps in the entire world. And they were willing to embrace that to me, the thing I kept saying was, please, please, please do everything at like slow scale. Like even, even before I was in, I was like, I hope I'm not in. And it's like the, you know, we flip the floodgates because we've seen that with apps and we've seen that with, with way too much tech today where like they haven't not only prepared to handle the bugs, like which we could talk about, but like the bugs are actually not what, like for me, it's part of it's like, well, how are people translating this? And then how does someone jump from Nifty Gateway and have two-factor authentication on? And if you know, if someone's at the restaurant or at the Starbucks and they're scanning their QR code and it doesn't work, what's our you know, like all of those things that like you know? And, and I'll say like you know, I I was in Canada uh, and scanned my my piece and got one of my you know uh, rewards. Uh, I'm here in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington D.C. and multiple Starbucks, including this past weekend. I ended up talking ten minutes with the barista on the Odyssey thing, because I was like, Hey, I have to, I have to use a, a, uh, a, a, my, not my, I, I had to bring my own cup, right. Like to, to hit that rewards that was in the, you know, uh, in the, in one of the, the actual mechanisms. And, and I was like, oh, she's like, Oh, why are you doing that? Cause you see me in there a bunch and I always just ordered. And so I explained to her and she's like, wow. She's like, so I love that you're getting incentivized to use some of the, you know, components and things, you know, that exist within Starbucks, right? So it's not just another rewards blanket. But I also think that something you said about, like, they not only worked with you, but they also understood the trusted network you've built with DGen, right? And and I and I have to give you, you know, a shout out there as you know, as someone, you know, we're in like that media content game. Like there are, I, I'm not one that's fuds or or breaks down others, right? So I like to build up people. And in that note. I tell people all the time, you won't hear me badmouth other those others that are content creators or media because we need more. But you'll notice that they're not on my show, and those that I that I want to support, amplify, connect with will become on the show, right? Because like I'm very much like let's lift each other up. But I also think like there's there are some that are are playing the game in a way that like in many ways like they want mass adoption, yet you know, we still do have a, a monkey photo project that has a, you know, a coin or, you know, a key coming out of a monkey's butt and something called Dookie Dash, right? Like there's all of those, like those variables, but you know, I, I'm so glad you kind of connected some of those dots. I love that story. And we'll dive in with Bunch on uh, some of the, like the mechanics of Starbucks, but I, I am curious from a, you know, you're doing the morning show. Um, you have DJ network uh, as far as like that side of the house. Um, you've also kind of added on more shows. I love how you're kind of, uh, you know, promoting them. Uh, I found actually a couple of the shows just based on, you know, I was regularly showing up to your show and then seeing that there was uh, additional Twitter spaces. I'm curious from your you know, point of view from, you know, not only the, you know, now being on the inside of Starbucks, but then also understanding where like your background and a lot of that goes from. What are like, if you look at like the gaps in, and what, you know, what we, I think I mean, as a whole, a lot of people say like, they listen to my podcast, 
not because they really want my NFT information, but I talk about the things that are outside of NFT Twitter, right? Like, because we can get stuck in that really bubble. I really appreciate that you and Captain do a great job of that, right? Like you had an entire episode on like uh, talking about uh, DraftKings and, and the card. And I was like, I was so in because I was like, this is such a, you know, like for those of us that are fantasy football players and those of us that like to bet, there's a lot of like moving parts there. I- I'm curious from like, as DGEN's growing, as like a brand like Starbucks says, hey, we want to we want to work with you, but we also believe that you have trust. What are some of the things that you believe, uh, you know, outside of Harvard, the Harvard Business article, have helped you deliver and and demonstrate trust in a very crowded market that, let's say, you know, there's a there's some morning shows that will have 800 people in there, and I said people in air quotes, um, in their in their Twitter space, but I don't believe they're actually building the same level of trust for what we need for like kind of growth adoption. So like, what would you say is like a magic recipe for growing trust right now in, a, in kind of like this web three NFT space? Uh, transparency, honesty, and authenticity. I think, you know, people like, like, like yourself, people like me, like, I think um, I don't have it in me. My mom used to laugh because if I told a lie when I was a kid, I would come back and tell her I lied within like 10 minutes. It's just, it, I don't know why, I don't know what that is in my being, but that's just how I've always been. So for me, when I entered the NFT space, first I doxed very early when no one was doxing, like right when I got in, in like the, you know, early 2021 times, I was like, "Ah, whatever, I'll put myself out there. Like that's never been a problem for me. And I want to grow in this space. So it's going to be there. Um, I'm transparent about how I buy and sell. I have two wallets that you'll find on the blockchain. I have NFT Bark and NFT Bark Vault. And I know I should have a third. I should have like a super hot wallet, but I don't really degen as much anymore. So I don't, but like if I'm buying and selling people, no, no, that leads to headaches because as you scale out, as you probably know, with your level of Twitter following, it's like when you scale out, like I'll sell a project because I need liquidity to pay taxes, or maybe I'm tax loss harvesting, or maybe I just, you know, decide that I'm going to sell something and I'll get DMs from people like, Hey, is everything okay? Why'd you listen? In fact, I've had founders just even check in and say, Hey, just want to make sure that we're not letting you down. It's like, no, no, no. I still have a dozen of your tokens. It's just so happens. I'm, you've done a great thing. I'm delevering a little bit. Um, but I'm transparent. I'm upfront. I'm honest. I'll talk about if I have mental health things I'm going through because it actually helps and it's therapeutic for me to some degree. And then you'll hear other people find those sort of, um, will share sort of, uh, find those shared values in the cracks, so to speak. Right. Like when that happens. And I think it's one of those things to me where I sometimes look around and I see people making quick profits or doing things or botting spaces or things. And I'm, it's just not how I'm wired. And I realize that means I'm going to have a much slower growth. And I realize that means that it won't necessarily get there. But like, I listen to Gary Vee a lot. I've listened to Gary Vee since he was on Wine Library TV. Like I see you have a V friend. I know you're a V friend guy. You got the V friend shirt on. And I, I had a V friend before I had a board ape. In fact, I didn't get wow. a board ape. Wow. I almost didn't own a board ape because I was saving ETH for the V friends drop. Wow. And all my friends had board apes and I wasn't buying them yet because I'm like, you know, they were like, I bought my board ape for like 0.3. But like, I couldn't afford to spend that when I was waiting for the V-Friend. I thought it was going to cost me two ETH to get a core. Um, And so I've lost Gary V for a long time. Like I said, since Wine Library TV. And I just remember Gary V always like working really hard and saying, I'm going to do things my way and I'll see you at the finish line. And I always have them. In fact, my home screen, I I won't show it because it'll blur my camera as I go. But my home screen says work. That's how you get it with the Gary V signature. It's like these backgrounds he released years ago. And it's just always been there for me. And my, my mindset is always like, how do I build the credibility? Like 
I'm authentic. I'm myself. And the biggest compliment people give me is I'm the same person when they meet me in person, online, in DMs, uh, conversations. Like, and again, this isn't me like virtue signaling when I say this, like, you know, like when uh, AJ, I don't know AJ Vaynerchuk outside of, I follow him and he follows me. We don't interact. I've never met him personally. He had a really bad VSP drop when he dropped VSP because it got gas ward and a lot of people got really mad. It actually led to the Moonbirds raffle process because it was so bad and they knew AJ. Yeah, I was at Miami. We were at Miami NFT week when that was all going down, right? Like that was that same week. And everybody was freaking out. And the first thing I did was DM AJ Vaynerchuk because I, I don't know him at all, but just say, hey, no need to respond to this. Just want you to know, I you know, hang in there. I know you'll do a great job. Sorry you're going through it right now. I know a lot of people are going nuts and you're doing the right thing. Same thing, proof of conference got canceled. A lot of people are mad, disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. One of the first things I did was send an email to Maggie, the organizer, because a lot of people don't know Maggie does a proof events and she's done a great job and be like, I know you were disappointed as anybody. I had to unravel events when COVID started when I was leading internal comms at Progressive. I know what that's like. I hope you're doing okay. And I'm not saying this to virtue signal or like pat myself on the back. I'm saying this because this just happens to be how I operate or how I think. And I think that's gone a long way with a lot of people in realizing I just want to get to know people. I just want to make sure everyone's doing okay. I want to assume the best in everybody and give everybody sort of the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes that bites me, but I just think I tell my kids all the time, you'll never regret being kind. So, you know, kindness, like, like when people are like, what do you want to be remembered for? How do you want people to remember you? The first thing out of my mouth is like, I want people to know I'm kind. Like, I don't care about the other stuff. Like, I just want people to say like, that guy was nice to me. And you just never know, like, you're walking down the street, you see someone with nice shoes, you just tell them because like, why, like, why wouldn't you like, wouldn't you want someone to say that to you? And then who knows if that person was having a bad day. And so I just think leading with kindness, being honest and transparent, like if I'm selling things, I talk about it. I'm not like I pump something and then I sell it. And just trying to be authentic when I screw up, like I've put out tweets that I'm like, you know what? I didn't like the way I said that. I don't delete it. I'll quote tweet it and be like, this was stupid. I was wrong. I put out a tweet after the other side drop about you know, people like, this is just a gas for what's everyone upset about. I got a bunch of replies. So I did a thread about why I was wrong and why all these people, and I quote tweeted all of them and mentioned each person who made a good point. Because like, I don't know, like authenticity, hearing people's point of views, being understanding, being inclusive, like those are just values that are really, really deep at my core. And they just, that's just worked out for me so far. And I, I think that that's helped me build credibility with people in business and, and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, Delphi Cat, who's uh, in the green room kind of watching, she just, uh, you know, she messaged me on, on WhatsApp on my side and was like, holy hell, you guys are twins, like two peas in the pod. Because like, when you said kind, like I always say care, right? When someone says, how do I grow my following or my personal brand? I was like, I cared more about others than the average bar for caring was. And the bar for caring is pretty damn low. You mentioned the Proof Collective. Literally, as I got that message, my first thought was like how bad I felt for the team of proof having to deliver that. And so what I did was I literally DM'd Kevin and was like, hey, Kevin, I mean, I, I, I hate that you had to come to this. I know it's the last thing you ever wanted uh, to ever have. Kevin knows me only from like, we were on one panel in South by Southwest 2013 when he was dig. And like, it was like, like that's, I mean, I'm not it, less of a name drop, more of like, I had the same thought was like, oh man. And I'm all, I think we also share that belief of also like, you know, like every step that we're taking good and bad in this space is really impacting all of us right across the board. Right. And like the, the more that we can identify with, you know, when, when that was happening with AJ, I remember being in Miami and was like, we were sitting, I like my team was sitting across from us and I was like, Oh man, can you imagine? Like, 
he, he was, he, and he's never been one to piggyback on Gary's brand. He's never been, he's always been like so methodical. And even that whole drop, like, you know, like I could tell it was very calculated. And, and then for thing like those things that happen, and it's important for us to realize that not only are we all human, but those things do, you know, go such a, you know, a long way in this space. And so I love that you kind of connected that. I will also say something to validate what you had mentioned. You know, like I'm very loud about being a girl dad and being a proud girl dad. Uh, I co-parent, right. I'm going through a divorce that, you know, for seven years and, and gone through the co-parenting side. I have a, a 13, 11 and a nine year old. And I remember one of the very first times I'd heard you speak on, on a, on a, a Twitter space. And this was probably, well over a year ago. And I remember you mentioned, and it was just like, Hey, you know, but as a dad, I'm also looking and I, and I was like, Oh, okay. And I hit that follow button. Right. It was like the, cause like for me, there's also this layer of like, you know, I, you know, I was docs. I got verified on Twitter in 2015 under, under my name and my brand. Like I didn't get into the space, anything other than like, you know, pivoting my personal brand, but those connection points are so vital for people. I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. And I love that you have that, that example, that same, you know, like authenticity element. And, and also this is a part that I'm curious your take on, you know, I had Sheer Lazar, you know, who's a good friend of mine for since 2013, we co-host Alpha Mondays together for almost a year now, actually it'll be a year next week. Um, Sheer and I did a whole episode on what we learned on creator monetization for eight years in web two. And it was like a, a nightmare of like, you know, her and I both being hosts and content creators. Like we, we both, you know, we were actually both the digital hosts for IBM's largest event they ever put on. Right. And, and people were like, man, that was amazing. Like, yeah, none of y'all know that like they paid for our hotel and our airfare only because at that point they had like a list of like 400 people that wanted that gig and like Shira. And so one of the things that we debated a lot on the, on the episode was about like not only brand um, kind of integration in this space, but, Let's take it from a standpoint as a media company, create content creator. It's hard to monetize right now in this space. It is, I mean, I, I, this is my eighth podcast. We launched the getting started with NFTs one, which was the ninth, but this is the hardest one I've ever had for having sponsors. It's all, which is the weirdest. Like if you added my first seven podcasts together, a million downloads, we're going to hit 2 million downloads this month, right? Like, so like th this podcast has two X what we ever had in those other podcasts. But what I found was that, there is kind of like this weird gap of, oh, you have a bored ape. You know, Steve, you must be rich. You have a bored ape, you're rich, right? Or, oh my goodness, you were in in 2021. You know, how many Lambos do you have? Where, where? And you're like, wait a second. Those of us that are still here building, those of us that have real strong values and course, a majority of us aren't rich. And even if they, we have a PFP that they recognize, some of us bought in at the top <laughs> uh, and, and others it, we own that NFT and it's not worth anything until you sell it. And if you, you know, value it. So I'm curious from a, from like a, you know, a media brand, how are you looking at it? I know you, I think you guys have uh, NFTs and tokens or maybe both, you know, we launched uh, the ADHD token here. Um, actually I launched that before I ever launched NFTs. Um, I did sell NFTs. I also airdropped my first 1093 supporters. You know, we did the thousand true fan model, right. Where every, you know, everyone's read that, uh, that article. Kevin Kelly. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Kelly, huge fan. So yeah, we called it the 1093 cause my hockey number was 93. So everything has a 93 in it. Um, so people that hold 1093s right now, they can actually go to my, you know, product, uh, you know, projects that I'm advising and they get perks for just holding that, you know, free airdrop. But I will tell you like, that doesn't pay the bills or for a team. Um, unfortunately, the, the company behind the coin that I had launched and onboarded over 2,000 people, you know, that was backed by E16Z, they pulled the plug on the entire platform and gave us kind of a two-week heads up uh, last month, which was, you know, unexpected. Also, a lesson on 
growing uh, you know, a, a Web3 brand on someone else's contract. But you know, like with all of those moving parts, I know that I have a lot of people listening right now on the show that are native content creators. Like they are, you know, they could create TikToks, they could create Instagram, they could do Twitter spaces. But for a lot of them, they also make really good money in Web2 with memberships, with you know, uh, the, the, their Facebook groups. And when they look at what it would take to grow in the media in this space, it's a little bit like who's getting paid, who's being sponsored, who are the people coming to you know to bat for this. How have you guys looked at that from DGen yourself? Because I know like we all have like a network of, of brands we used to work with, but getting them to support a content play and getting them to understand like, hey, this is a small pool of people, but there's some really loyal people here is freaking hard. How are you guys approaching that whole media sponsorship, you know, creators getting actually monetized? Yeah. So a couple things you said there, I did want to touch on the girl dad thing. Cause I love that uh, aspect. I know that about you. And like, for me as well, it's like, that's where some of my boundaries. And another thing when you talk about, like when I talk about growing slower, because I'm trying to be as ethical as possible. And if I, I joke around that if I didn't have ethics, I could be very rich by now in NFTs, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, some of your core values, it's like, you know, I was at Art Basel and at Art Basel uh, this year, uh, the board A party was going to be amazing. There was a doodles party. There's all these amazing things Saturday night. I was sitting on a red eye plane back to my hometown because my daughter had a choir concert on Sunday. And that's a non-negotiable for me. Now, was I going to be tired? Was I going to be dragging into the concert? And was I going to miss amazing things and opportunities to network, meet people, as well as just kind of let some steam off? Because I actually, the way I do conferences, whether this is right, wrong, or indifferent, I tend to be very thoughtful about it. Like I'll have a drink in hand because I, I do drink, but like, it's like, I'm not like getting hammered at anything. Right. Cause I don't want to be slurring my words when I meet like a VC or something. So I'll have a drink in hand. I hang out, but then I'll usually give myself one night to tie one off. Usually the last night at one last party towards the end of the night, hanging with my friends are very careful times. And so that would have been my night. That night was gone because I was flying back squished in, by the way, on a plane next to the most intoxicated lady I've ever seen in my life. She was wasted. It was, it was very uncomfortable. She kept trying to fall asleep on me, but not because of anything other than she was just wasted, but I was like, okay. So why? So that the next day I could be at my daughter's choir concert. So I love that you have that sort of like same sort of non-negotiable where when my son's like, Hey, can you watch me play Fortnite? I'm doing a battle royale. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'll take a break. Um, and so you, you see me wearing the VCon shirt, right? So I went for day one, but my daughter's birthday is May 22nd. And I told Gary, uh, and, and I even messaged cause like we, there was, I was going to do part of this, like the panel with one of the sponsors. And I said, I told my daughters early on when I had, when I became a speaker, I was like, I will not miss their birthday. So I went to day one that night. I flew home from VCon for my daughter's birthday. So like, I mean, we couldn't be more aligned on that. Beautiful. The only thing we're not twins on is you have to teach me the boundary self-control thing at the events. Uh, I set my alarm and put two Advil next to my, uh, you know, my bed before I leave the hotel room. Cause I know that I can't like, you know, figure out how to leave early or, you know, prioritize that, but we're a twin in, in, in many of those ways. And I respect that, uh, you know, to the highest degree of, across the board. Yeah, no, totally. But I, I love that. And I love the, um, I love the, the similar story. Cause it is, yeah. I mean, it is a very, like some things are important to me and, uh, you know, my daughter remembering that I was there matters. Um, uh, as far as like, um, and also you mentioned Sheer, by the way, love Sheer Lazar. I, I look, I, I put her on like a pedestal as far as like, she runs events. She's always hosting something like she's such a hard worker and she's so kind. Like I, I really, I, I, I literally really just fully met her for the first time. We followed each other, but I really met her for the first time in LA at the future proof event that proof did. And oh, nice. she was just such a good person. And not only that, 
I mean, she did me a solid. Like I met her at a, a, a non Moonbird event the night before. And then I was talking around and she's like, oh, you need to meet Stevie and Justin. Cause like I wanted to, cause Justin and I had DM'd and I, I knew him, he was going to have a similar vibe to me and he does. And she like pulled me over and hung out. And so she did me a huge solid there. So really great and appreciate her. Um, as far as like monetizing, there's a couple of things. So it's funny, we do have a DGen pass and this was more of a demand from the community because we had this open discord and we were getting allow list opportunities through our network and all these other things. And our community was like, y'all should probably sell something to gate this thing because like, our allow list were starting to get botted and there was all sorts of things that were happening to our open discord. So we made it private. We really thoughtful on the past rollout. We very intentionally didn't hype it because, you know, like, I mean, it's not like as far as Twitter spaces goes, you know, getting a thousand audience uh, every single morning is a decent audience for a Twitter space. Um, um, to like 200, 300 concurrently, but like a thousand in and out generally yeah, is our number. Sure. We made the point of not promote over promoting it on that. We mentioned it, but we didn't. And the reason was, we don't want to promise something. We don't want homo, uh, 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 FOMO hype mentors in. We don't want uh, people who are coming in to flip. Like, And now there's nothing wrong with making a profit, but like the reason we did it is we wanted the community to be strong and sort of the right values. And so anyway, so so we sold it. And, um, you know, long story short, it's like, you know, sold like 500, 600 tokens, nothing big. What that did was it gave us a little bit of runway to build things the right way. We didn't draw a salary out of that. We really do believe leaders eat last. So like when we get sponsorships, we want to make sure we are able to pay our creators. And we've done a few sponsorships. It is challenging. I mean, I think we've done a couple of things. So we did get a sponsorship from DraftKings early on. That was super helpful with Rainmakers because we just you know knocked on doors when we knew they were coming out with a product. And again, shook the trees because between our co-founder group, we have a pretty good network of individuals. So we did that. Um, we've done sponsorships with Mintify, who has a really good trading platform. Uh, Zed Run, just because we know Ebbs from, um, you know, uh, Chris knows Ebbs, Chris Ebling, who's the founder of that from another podcast he did. And, and so we did a sponsor segment called like, which horse are you backing every week? So we would do these segments and things and, and it's very sporadic at the moment. Um, we use some of our DGen Mint uh, to hire a couple of things. We hired an Alalis guy who gets like really, really high desire Alalis so that people see value and could potentially make money back from DGen. And then we also hired a sales team. Um, sales team, actually, they're great, but didn't quite work out the way we wanted. They couldn't put the time towards it. So after about a three month trial, we did that. Now we're bringing on another partnerships person. So our goal is that because none of us have time to sort of like go seeking out and knocking on doors, how can we use the money that we were able to get in the mint as well as money from our own pocket or anywhere else we can do it to get people what, you know, not entirely commission based on a salary of some sort to say, go out there and help us find some sponsorships, sell our shows, and concurrently, because what we do best at DGen, myself and others, is we're great at driving audiences to our other shows. Like our other shows might have 10 people. And then next thing you know, if we get them on DGen and we hype them up, they're going to get 100 people, 1,000 people. Um, one of our guys, Gentle Tornado and, and Dan the Lost Boy and Omi do a show on Saturday. Uh, we just brought them on as a show. And they had their biggest show ever because we're like, they, they want to give away a DGen pass. We're like, let's do it and, and, and help them get a bigger audience. So you know, we try to get audience, but once the audience is there, how do we then get the monetization there? And, you know, I think with brands outside the space, pretty soon they're going to realize that if somebody is not selling, now it doesn't make you rich if you have work, like you said. I mean, I ate a Lunchable for lunch yesterday. I'm not exactly raking in the dough. Um, you know, I'm making, when I when I left to be a full entrepreneur in this thing, I took an 80% pay cut. If I wanted to be make money, I would have stayed at Nestle or Progressive. Like I could have gone up and into leadership there. But the key is like, you know, I'm doing entrepreneurship isn't about getting rich. It's about doing the thing that you want to do every day and having that freedom to have, you know, a lot of fun. And so 
Um, you know, to me, like once we got that mint, it's like, how do we get that money to use it to bring in people to do the things we can't do, which is field tons of sales inquiries and then get them out there. But I do think there's a world where you can say to a brand, look, if you want customers who have disposable income, um, if this person is not selling a six figure picture of a monkey, now granted, obviously it's an access pass to get you into all things. They're probably a good consumer and people in NFTs tend to be higher consumers. So how can we get our customer profile, which we've done a pretty good job of? How do we get our listener profile? How do we get our show profile? And then how do we go to a brand and say, look, this is somebody you want potentially doing business with you. And by the way, the other thing is turning down the ones that don't make sense. We've turned down projects that I've wanted to do it with us. I've turned down projects you want me to do. I've never done like those promotions type things. I've worked with a few firms that have things I believe in. Like I was a partner for Rally Road on their launch because yep. I use the product. I believe in it. Cool. I'll partner with them and it's a little money here and there, but like we also got a DJM partnership. So it's finding products we believe in and then trying to spread them the love across all of our shows. Cause at the end of the day, I just want our contributors to feel like we are doing the best work for them and behind the scenes so that they can just go out and create content and make it work. I love that. And, you know, and I love what you're building there and we'll definitely, you know, include links in the, in the show notes, really enjoy the, you know, the morning show that you guys are putting on as well. You know, I, I think the, you know, the variety of being able to have like banter, you know, I'm a diehard sports fan. Uh, you know, there's some sports things that go in there. Right? I, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh. I, I, I can't help it. But I was, you know, my, all three daughters were born into a terrible towel. That was the first material that ever touched uh, their bodies in their uh, entire life. Like that's like the, that level. And I always like that, like kind of a, you know, a variety of conversations. And, and I will say like, I mean, I'm so glad that we were able to kind of make this, you know, happen and bring you on the show. And I, you know, and also just the idea of like, you know, we're both been playing in this game. We also, I will just say like a lot of the people that I've seen you retweet or people that you have on your show, I have zero network or connection with. And it was like, you know, we, we also sometimes forget, like if we're playing in our, in our own arena, there's others that have like another arena that have, you know, that can also kind of, we can bridge networks. We can connect, you know, great people doing, uh, you know, great things across the board. Uh, and I think that's where I think having this, you know, it's that, you know, that mindset that is open to all these opportunities, right. And bringing people on. And, you know, I remember when I, you know, when I first reached out to a couple of podcasters and we had, you know, board Becky uh, was one of my very first guests that I ever, when I, I launched thinking I was only doing solo episodes. And then I, I brought on board Becky, I think she might've been the second guest. Uh, and she was like, Banzo, you're the first podcast that has had me on that, you know, I'm a podcaster. And I was like, well, for me, this is a no brainer, right? Like you, we we're all getting on this and this is a, you know, a game that we can level up, but also like, you know, I, I even connected with Carly, uh, you know, just recently and was like, do I talk about, I've mentioned your show and bankless stuff on the show on a regular basis. I, I think that's like part of the, the narrative here. But um, the last thing I wanted to kind of tap in as we kind of pull this, this episode together and we could literally go for two more hours. That is, uh, you know, no questions asked. There. I'm sure about that. Like, that's one thing. I'm sure that the two of us, like the way I can tell the way our brains work, we could literally talk for hours. Yeah, we will. And we will, we'll make that happen. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an in-person event on one of those nights. 24 hour space. We could, yeah. We could do yeah, it. yeah, there we go. We could, we could do it that way. Uh, I'm curious. So, you know, there's all these moving parts, you know, you have brands, you have the, the Starbucks side of the house, you know, the, the, the part that I'm curious about from like what you're like kind of identifying now is, you know, with the things that you have your hand in with the media and the, uh, and Starbucks and also just kind of your background, what, where is something that like, where you're like, you know, this is the thing that still keeps my hope because let's face it, this space, you know, you can literally just get in a one wrong Twitter space or you open up a Twitter feed and you, you know, proof collect proof conference has to, you know, shut down. And then you have blur versus open C and this whole like 
and it, it can be a lot, right? And and I appreciate like authenticity. I appreciate the priorities with the family. But there's also like you have to have like a north star, your eye on something to kind of keep going in this space. What is it that like, you're kind of like, hey, I still see this as relevant in this space, and that that's kind of keeping you going, going, you know, through these times. I just I just map back to like the fact that I. One, I mean, on a selfish personal level, there's there's two things, because I'll be very honest. There's a selfish personal level where I've been into tech. I mentioned sixth grade. I was early to that. I was early to social media. I was early to crypto. All of those things, I didn't swing the bat and try. And so this is the first time at 38 years old. I'm 39 now. But when I was 38, I said, you know what? I'm going to try this. I could always go back to the corporate world and give it a go. And um, so selfishly, like for me, I'm geeked out about saying not just this, but like whatever the next tech is, whatever was the the web two social media, the web one, you know, this the crypto, like whatever it is. And now it's NFTs and, and, and this web three world. And then there's going to be something next. I want to be on the forefront of that. And so part of it is like, I just love tech and geek out over all these things. I geek out over markets. I geek out over, um, you know, human interactions, all these different things, like how human behavior, human behaviors and markets are formed. One of the things me and Scott, he teaches like how markets are made at Harvard. So like, you know, so like I geek out over that stuff. So like I'm enjoying myself. So selfishly, there's that. But my like North Star, like from a more purposeful perspective, is that if I can play even the smallest part in driving up the future of making sure that businesses and consumers and the average person's life is improved by this technology, whether it's their medical records are on chain so that they're able to detect diseases quicker, or, you know, like instead of them swapping their mouth and going to 23andMe and then them selling the data on the back end, they swab their mouth and brands come to them and say, we'll pay for your data so that you can monetize your own health. Stuff like that. If I can find brands and bring them closer to stuff like that or Starbucks rewards or other things happening, even the smallest, smallest part, it feels like I've done something that's for the greater good because this technology truly can change. Like the most poetic example, if somebody's fleeing a country of unrest and they're trying to go to a developing country, in the current state, they have to sew their money into their clothes and pick up what they can and run out. In a world where their money and their goods are digital and their accreditations are on the blockchain and provable, they can go and they can start their new life not behind. If I can help bring stuff like that a little closer to existing, then I feel like I've done some like purposeful thing in the world. So my North Star is always towards like mapping towards stuff like that. Love it. I mean, everyone that's listening here knows that, you know, we are definitely instant best friends in that, in that realm. And, and let's face it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 41. So I'm a little, I'm the, I'm the elder. I, I like to say I'm a pager wearing millennial because I actually had a pager where most people assumed for a while that millennials are born with an iPhone in their hand. Right. But we can, we can talk zip drives and uh, you know, my gateway computer that I was burning Napster CDs on in my freshman dorm uh, in 1999 uh, that, that kind of connects there. And, you know, Steve, I, I love, you know, all the things you're working on, Really appreciate your time. Appreciate you know the shared uh, connections. Also, just I mean the fact that you you know, got Buncho and you know bringing him on to the uh, to the show as well. You know, I will just say like for those that are out there, right? Like, you know, a sign of really great people are always great people willing to connect people, willing to you know care, amplify, do the research. Um, and as much as like I mean, I believe in this space. I still believe that bar for caring uh, about people at their core is really really low. 
And you don't have to do much to just be a little bit better than the average and stand out and grow. And you don't need that massive following. You don't need to have a, a board ape uh, as your PFP. If you're willing to put in that time, you're willing to care about, you know, people at their core. And, and Stevie, I can just tell, you know, not only have you been living that and breathing that, but it's the result for a lot of things that are, are coming your way. So I uh, appreciate you for coming on the podcast. We'll put links to uh, a lot of the things that we mentioned here um, in the show notes. And, you know, for all of our listeners, you know, not only, you know, do we want to continue to amplify and celebrate great examples? But I also just want to give one reminder, and this is for all of us blockchain, crypto, love this space. It costs zero gas to retweet and share good people doing good things. Zero gas fees, no, no price to do that. So do me a favor, make right now, as you're done listening to this episode, jump onto social and someone that, you know, a creator, a project founder, somebody that's putting in the work that you really believe is making a good impact amplify them, share them. I can promise if we each do that, we'll make this space a better place. Until tomorrow or until next time, make it a great day, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to NFT 365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review. Like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. Join our email list to keep up with all things NFT 365. We appreciate you spending a little of your time with us. And as always... 